This is Bespoke, a podcast exploring the making of bespoke objects and experiences, devised and hosted by Adriana Pace-Kent. Hi, I'm Adriana, the founder of Woven Spaces, a creative lab that explores how to build better and shape meaningful places. The unique object or experience has always had a powerful appeal, but the process of bespoke commissioning still remains shrouded in mystery. That's why I started Bespoke, a podcast inspired by the designers and makers who create something unique and the people who commission them. Join me as I meet designers, makers, brokers and their clients, find out how commissioning really works and discover the secrets of this very special relationship. This is Bespoke. My guests today are artist and jeweller Sarah Warsop and her client Nikki Gray. Alongside a successful career in dance, an evening class in jewellery making led Sarah to a master's degree in jewellery design and a growing fascination with turning dance into wearable objects. Sarah describes drawing and painting as a bridge between dance and jewellery, movement and metal. Meanwhile, with a background in HR, Nikki was fascinated by the creative as well as the practical aspects of designing and making things. She also had a fabulous aquamarine gem that she needed to have set. Sarah and Nikki met through a mutual friend and discovered their shared interest in jewellery during a yoga session. I had to find out more. So I was a dancer for about 30 years. I danced with Ron Bear and Siobhan Davis Dance for many years. I started to go to jewellery evening classes when I was still dancing. I used to run from the studio, the dance studio, to my jewellery evening class on a Monday night and had the best three hours of my week. I continued to do that for about seven years, at which point I thought, oh, maybe there's something in this. Um, So I applied to do an MA at St. Martin's in jewellery design. They were very... um, generous to give me a place there. Then while I was there, it was an MA by project. So you had to have a project that you wanted to see through to the end. And that's where I began to realize that I needed to bring my dance in to my jewelry making. I couldn't just drop everything and start over, which is kind of what I was thinking. I don't know what I was thinking. So while I was there, I started to to develop how to um, capture rhythm and dynamic in metal, starting from movement and choreography. And that's really how I've continued to this day. At that point, drawing already became the bridge between the movement and the object, but it was purely for me. I wouldn't have really shown anybody my scribbles at that point. But then the drawing and further on the painting became integral to my practice and as important as the jewellery. Nikki, how did you first encounter Sarah's work? Sarah was introduced to me by um, a former colleague of mine, a wonderful man called Gary Carter, who was also a friend of Sarah's, um, I was looking for a yoga teacher, actually, and Sarah was recommended. And I think during our very sort of long, quite stiff at the, start, <laughs> the beginning <laughs> yoga sessions, we we talked and 
you know, this whole other world that Sarah belonged to opened up. And yeah, we spent many yoga sessions talking about, because Gary and I also had a mutual love of jewellery, um, which I think is probably why he put me in touch with Sarah. And we just spoke for the sort of 90 minutes that you were attempting to get me to do some yoga about all sorts of things. And yeah, I think that was where we realised we had a sort of mutual interest in the sort of creative world that Sarah inhabits and that I always wanted to inhabit but wasn't really brave enough to do. So I went into a very boring world of human resources working for a TV company, which isn't boring. Um, but I've always felt very inspired by people who make things, create things as part of their career, who are really brave enough to step away from the regular nine to five income um, and just live on on what they create. So that I think was where we really sort of started to have some very interesting conversations. Wonderful. And the first, did you buy any of Sarah's work before you decided to commission something from her or did you commission something first? I think the first thing was a set, a necklace and some earrings, yes, in gold. And then a pro- I'd had a, pro- not a problem, uh, something that I'd bought a stone when I was on holiday in Sri Lanka, an enormous aquamarine. It was beautiful. And I was just looking for something to work with that so that I could I could wear the piece. So I think Sarah showed me the jewellery and we and I bought a necklace and some earrings in gold. I think yeah, they're just a matte gold. Really beautiful. Um, inspired by some of your dance pieces. So the movement was there and that was when I started to think maybe I should just show Sarah this stone and say, what would you do with it? So I remember you took it away, all wrapped up in um, tissue paper, put in your pocket. And I was thinking, <laughs> I really hope I see that again. And um, off you went and came back with some ideas. But really, to be honest, I just trusted Sarah mm. with the design other than, can can you make it something that I can wear that isn't a, a big piece that I need, you know, an occasion for? But if I just want to wear something, wear this every day what would you do and that was I think probably about as much of of the brief as um, I managed to come up with and Sarah went off and did her thing. We also talked about the fact that you're fair skinned you've got very small hands so the fact that this stone was already set in a ring in white gold. It was white gold which it wasn't white. So it's very very pale so we talked about changing the materials making it warmer just to suit you better. And so how did the process then work for you, Sarah? So this stone is quite a thing. It it presents itself to the world. Um, (laughs) It's not a shy stone. It's not (laughs) a demure stone in any sense. Um, So I had to go and do a little bit of research as to how I was going to set this stone. Had you set anything like this before? No, I'd only worked with rough stones, which I was able to, each stone I could make a very particular setting for every stone I worked with. Mm-hmm. Whereas this stone was a cut, sparkly stone. So it needed a setting appropriate to keep it safe 
to present it properly, but also to bring it into what I do. So that was the first job. Um, I went to my books <laughs> and um, started to play with how that might happen. And so obviously with this, you're working with an object rather than working with a piece yeah. of music, which is the yeah. other way in your practice yes. that you come to a final. Yes. Because am I right in thinking, Nikki, that the pieces that you had bought initially from Sarah were more in line with her practice of working from music through movement? Yeah, I think they were dance-inspired pieces, yeah. weren't they? So yeah. they were very... Um, yeah, they had a real shape and movement to them. So I don't know if we ever talked about which music, but they were definitely dance. You could see that in the shape yeah, of the metal. I think they were choreographic. Yeah. And did you have any expectations, Nikki, when you handed over the stone of what Sarah would produce? Or Honestly, no, I didn't. Okay. But I think by then I knew Sarah well enough. It was probably, what, two or three years into our friendship. Mm. I knew something amazing would come back, and I just didn't feel... I had anything to add mm -hmm. to the process. So I decided to just place my trust fully in Sarah. And I'd seen enough of her work by then to know that she would create something really spectacular with the stone, which is what she did. So the stone, obviously, um, it it had, as you said, it had to be held um, mm -hmm. both physically, but also kind of psychologically within whatever you were presenting so that it could be something that you could wear, Nikki, rather than, because I think that's often the problem is that you have these very large gems which look spectacular and then you think, well, I can only wear them on about three occasions. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, so can you talk me through, how did you then communicate what you were exploring with Nikki? Did you share any kind of rough maquettes or settings? I, I think... I brought some sketches of how the setting was going to be. Yep. Um, At that point, had you decided that it wasn't going to be a ring? Had you, yes, had you settled on it being, because it's yeah. a brooch? It's too big for, for a ring. And I, could, I don't think we could think of anything other than a brooch that could be worn every day. It's mm. too big for a necklace. I think if someone was, you know, six foot... And yeah. had that kind of took up that much room mm. in the world, mm. then they could actually have it as a ring or a neck piece or a but in this situation it had to sit comfortably on the body mm. in a different way, mm. I think. Mm. So I think I presented some sketches to show how the stone would be set and yes you're right in the fact that I that's what I started with this time mm. I wanted to get the stone set mm. and then I could relax so the stone got set and then I could play with how it was going to get incorporated mm. and that's where the play in metal began because in the end some some of the metal was used to surround mm. and partly hide the stone to make it less of a presentation of a cut stone 
mm. and more of a stone inside a piece of jewellery. Interesting. So it's kind of nestled yeah. within a matrix of metal that sits yeah. comfortably. Yeah. And obviously you can't hide too much of the stone because it's it's an extraordinary stone. Mm. So it's a fine line. So, Nikki, when Sarah presented you with the final piece, was it what you had expected or hoped for? Oh, I think it was much more than what I'd expected because I didn't really, I couldn't visualise. I knew all the challenges that Sarah faced about how she was going to set it, how she was going to keep it safe and make it wearable. But I didn't really have an expectation about that. I just sort of hoped to see something really beautiful. And I mean you surpass that that hope and and more because the stone is amazing but also the way it's set is amazing i i don't know if it's because i bought it in sri lanka but i always think about the sea because it's an aquamarine it's a very deep bluey green color so whenever i'm wearing it that's what it sort of evokes to me and the sort of the way the gold wraps around it looks a bit like the sort of you know the silver on the sea when you've got the sun mm. above you it's it's just beautiful I was going to ask what kind of emotion it, it evokes for you when you wear it, because that's the thing about jewellery. It is so, it's a way of capturing, I think, often emotion and identity. It has a really strong sense of movement to me, which I think is always integral to the pieces that Sarah produces. But I think also that link back to, you know, my first trip to Sri Lanka, which was wonderful. So, yeah, I always look, think and look at the sea when, I, when I'm wearing it. Are you able to wear it a lot? Yep. Is it the wearable piece that you were hoping for? It is. I wear it a lot more probably in the winter when I've got a scarf and I just clip it and, yeah, it gets a lot of comments. So having commissioned this incredible piece of jewellery, um, did you then work with Sarah on other other projects and other commissions? I did. Um, I also bought some of the jewellery that Sarah had already sort of made, inspired by other pieces. I think there's some beautiful rings and uh, ring earrings with uncut emeralds that I've bought from you which are also gorgeous and I'd never really considered uncut stones as something that I might be interested in before but there was a way that Sarah presented them which was just amazing and then I was looking for a special birthday gift for a really good friend it was a special birthday I won't say um, how old she was because she won't thank me for that um, but we had a conversation Sarah and I about my friend Ruth and we talked about her and my friendship and I think I showed you a, a photograph and then just said could you create some special earrings for this birthday and off Sarah went into her process again and came up with something quite incredible. How about Sarah's uh, drawings yeah. and artwork? Have you ever, have you engaged with that side of her practice? Yeah I have quite a few of her drawings at home as well because I think they're really beautiful Again, I think it's the sense of movement that flows through everything that really attracts me. So I have a workspace at home now that has a few of her pieces in. Um, and then I was thinking about commissioning another piece for a very good friend of mine who was also having a, a significant birthday again. I won't say how old, because he won't thank me for that either. Um, but I felt that on the success of the earrings, I really wanted to commission something that was very personal to Kevin, who is an amazing person has had a huge career traveled all over the world it was quite hard to think about what you give somebody um that would be meaningful and I wanted it very much to have meaning and he's a massive Lem Leonard Cohen fan coincidentally as is Sarah and so we talked about 
a piece inspired by one of Leonard Cohen's pieces of um, music that would really mean something to Kevin, which he has just proudly displayed on his amazing home in Grasmere. How did you find commissioning for somebody else? In the sense that obviously it's a gift, but you're having to think about how to communicate your relationship with that person to Sarah. I put a lot of trust in Sarah. I think by this point we knew each other very well. Um, we just talked about the person mm. and Sarah just asked me lots of questions. And I think these were both people that are important in my life and that we would have talked about probably over the years. But I think it was the way that Sarah asked me about them that enabled the process to to really work. Because I guess that's part of the um, opportunity and also the challenge is trying to understand exactly what it is that each party wants from the experience and the conversation, really. So how do you go about, Sarah, trying to shape a brief with your with your clients? So for Ruth, for the earrings, it was about getting to know what she looked like physically. Then it's knowing a little bit about her personality. Is she someone who wears very small pieces of jewellery? Is she is she able to express herself more through jewellery? What colour schemes does she like? So it's... It's just getting a little inkling of how this person presents themselves to the world, really. Um, we settled on silver with rough diamonds. And then it's trust. Huge trust. It's making a start. And if I need to know more, I come back to Nikki and I say, so I'm kind of going this way. What do you think? Um, with the drawing, it's slightly trickier, really, because it's going on someone's wall. They're not going to wear it. Um, luckily, with Leonard Cohen, he's a poet. There's the words that are very um, emotive. Mm. And I have no idea when I start a drawing project where it's going to go. I guess that's part of the excitement, but also from a commissioner's perspective, mm -hmm. that's where trust is so important and really um, understanding the process, committing to the process and kind of holding the maker to allow them to yeah, go Yeah, I that. just always feel with commissioning Sarah, maybe it would be different if I commissioned from somebody I didn't know as well. I have to put my trust in Sarah because if I get too directive or limit the brief in any way, I just feel that's not helpful to to the end sort of outcome. I just feel that for Sarah, the, the trust is important and I don't have a fixed view of what I'm asking her to create either. I just want it to be something special particularly in these cases, for the person that I'm going to give it to. But I had no expectation either from the earrings as to how they would look or the drawing as to how that would, you know, how you would express the music and the words um, in the drawing. And having commissioned Sarah, have you commissioned other artists? I haven't commissioned anybody else. I buy from a lot of 
makers. I mean, my other big passion and perhaps where I originally thought my career might go one day, a long time ago, was into textiles. So I'm very into um, knitting and crochet. In fact, I've taught Sarah to knit and crochet. Fantastic. Um, through the sort of medium of Instagram, I've bought from a lot of um, individual makers, so people who hand-dye incredible yarn. Um, so that's one of the things I like to do as well as as part of my own sort of creative endeavours, mm. which are nothing compared to Sarah's. Would you be interested in commissioning a textile artist I would. in the future? Yeah, I think that's something that would be... Um, well, I'm just waiting for Sarah to catch up yeah. in that area. <laughs> but having commissioned Sarah, does that give you confidence yes, about the process absolutely. and an understanding of... I think if you find somebody's work that you really love mm. and then you can, you know, spend a little time, because really when I first commissioned you, I suppose it was a leap of faith. I didn't quite, I'd never done this before with anybody else. Um, but I really felt that from the work I'd already seen that Sarah had produced, I was fairly sure I was going to like it. Mm. But, you know, what's the worst that's going to happen? You're going to get a piece that isn't quite what you expected but then I think that's a good thing because if you wanted something that you knew exactly what you were getting then you know go to a retail and buy something that already exists I mean the great part of this is that you have a sort of hope as to what you might get which is you know I hoped I would get something beautiful with the aquamarine and you know I got way more than that but it's that you know the experience that somebody else brings to it which is beyond something that you know, I could have imagined. Mm. So that's what I love about working with Sarah is to try and keep the freedom of the brief as open as possible because then I think that's where the sort of magic happens. Mm. I mean, it is, it's an adventure in that respect. You And I think if you are willing to embrace the unknown mm. and embrace the the process, and particularly with Sarah's work, where there is such a unique process involved, um, then the outcomes, as you say, can be so unexpectedly yeah. exceptional. I guess the next question is, what is your next commission going to be? I would definitely like to commission some more um, paintings. I see Sarah has tempted me by bringing one of her latest pieces along, and I'm just looking at that as we're talking. It's quite incredible. Mm. It's beautiful. Um, I think, Sarah, can you describe a little bit what you've created? So my process at the moment is working with a composer called Niels Fram. I think that's how you pronounce it. He's a German composer. And I'm working with acrylics again, uh, acrylic ink and acrylic paints, but also with graphite powder. Mm. And I'm layering texture and rubbing graphite powder to create a luster and a shine in certain parts of the texture. And the end result is quite metallic, I think. Mm. It creates a really steely, grey, metallic shine, but also the texture and the colours come through the layers. 
So, Sarah, you've been talking a bit about how your um, practice has expanded with your drawing from when you first started, you didn't want to show any of your drawings to anyone, to now drawing being an integral part of your process and your expression of your process. Can you tell me a little bit more about a, a commission or an opportunity that allowed you to expand that approach? So the first time I worked in acrylic paints was when I was asked to do a big wall piece at Cockpit Bloomsbury. Um, and it was based around um, Max Richter's uh, Recomposed, yeah, which is a recomposition Vivaldi. of Vivaldi's Rite yes, of Spring, brilliant. which is whoa, amazing. And very easy to have in your ears mm. for an entire weekend. So I had um, <laughs> two full days to get this piece up on the wall, and it was layers and layers of acrylic paint, um, blues, golds, getting the texture on first with white, I think. Um, and it covered a corner. It went from one wall into the corner and out the other side. And that opened up a whole new way of working for me, just to get my hands on paint and to get confident with paint. It was amazing. What would be your dream commission? What would you drop everything for? I would drop everything for a full-size permanent, painting somewhere in a building that would just be so exciting to see that process through from beginning to end if I could base it on a piece of music of their choice or my choice mm -hmm. I think also a jewellery commission from someone who had a music choice mm -hmm who wanted to see my process from beginning to end through the development of drawings or paintings and then through to the very end for the object. That would be lovely. We've got to make it happen. Um, well, thank you both so much for sharing um, your incredible relationship and your journey and your insights into the commissioning process. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank, thank you very much. You. This is Bespoke. So, look out for the next episode of Bespoke. In the meantime, make sure to subscribe to the show and connect with us through our website, wavenvoices.co.uk, and Instagram, at Bespoke. We'd love to hear from you. So, for now, it's goodbye from me, Adriana Pace-Kent, and as ever, a massive thank you to all my guests. Bespoke is a Woven Voices production. Find out more at wovenvoices.co.uk. Brought to you by Woven Spaces, shaping meaningful places online and on site. Audio production by The Boy in the Corner. <laughs>